0: You guys may have heard that song, what's love got to do with it? My question to you this morning is, what's food got to do with it? What's food got to do with it? I, I have this game that I play with my, with my little niece uh, every time it's around dinner time. She, she'll come up to me and say, it's time to eat. And, and, and I'll say, but wait a minute, Selah, didn't you eat yesterday? And she'll say, yes. And i say, well, you ate yesterday. Why do you need to eat again? And so she'll say, because I want to grow and become big and strong. And I'm like, no, I want you to remain small and cute and away from boys. But she wants to eat. And so she'll say, we got to eat. We have to eat every day because our body needs to eat. We need to be nourished. And I'm thinking, who taught you the word nourished? Dora the Explorer. I don't know. Maybe it was Caillou. What's food got to do with it? What we've learned so far is that Jesus has seen these people who've come and clamored around them, and he's had compassion on them, and he saw that they were hungry, and he fed 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. He fed them, and then they followed him across to the other side of the sea, and and, and he says to them, he says, I know why you're here. You're not here because you saw the sign In the miracle, you're here because you experienced the miracle and you want to just continue experiencing the miracle. You want to have your bellies filled. Sometimes we seek God not for the sake of gaining God. We seek God for getting from God. We seek him for what he can provide to us. We seek him only when it's, it's hard and we're in trouble. We're like, oh my gosh, now we really need God. Help us, bless us, do something, God. You're my genie in a bottle. I've got to rub you the right way. It may be funny, but that's how we treat him sometimes. We don't come to him to worship him in himself, to experience him for all that he is, but we just want to get from him to consume from him and so jesus is like you're seeking me you're following me not because you saw the signs because if you saw the signs you'd worship me you'd not want to make me king of your earth but you'd make me king of your heart you want your bellies full and so he takes that as a launching pad to speak some spiritual truth, he tells them that, 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 yes, that was the bread you experienced, but I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And right there, you can write it in your Bible, put it in your notes, uh, text it to a friend. God is into carbs. I am the bread of life is what he says. I am the bread that has come down from heaven. And hearing this disturbs the Jews. Hearing that he is the bread come down from heaven makes them understand something and perceive something about what he's saying that is more than what even his disciples can understand because the Jews are able to say, wait a minute, if you're saying that you're the bread from heaven, you're basically putting yourself on par with God. And Jesus doesn't back away from that. He understands that they may not fully comprehend what he's talking about. And so he says, listen. All who the Father gives me, I will keep, and I will raise them up on the last day. Hearing this disturbs him, and so we pick up the story and the sermon that Jesus is preaching in verse forty-one. Verse forty-one says that the Jews grumbled about him because he said, "I am the bread come down from heaven." They grumbled, and the word "grumbled" there is a onomano poetic word, onomatopoeia. Remember, anybody know what that word means? Oh, you do? Oh, she's, she's awesome. Oh, you were in the first service. <laughs> uh, she takes notes. That's right. What did you learn in church today? Onomatopoeia. What does a snake do? What do you call that? Hissing. It sounds like what it describes. What do bees do? And we call that buzzing. What, what's happening in this passage here is that it says that the Jews began to the Greek word is g which is an onomono word that describes what they were doing. They were literally grumbling amongst themselves. It wasn't like a, a, a normal, like, oh we have a little problem. It was like more like, how can he say that? How can this man claim to be God? How can he say that he's 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 the bread come down from heaven? And then the text goes on to describe fully what they were speaking about. They said in verse 42, they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? We're familiar with him. We know him. We used to pick on him and his brothers. We made fun. We used to call him the son of the carpenter. We know who he is. How can this man now claim to be something more? Sometimes when you become so familiar and make God so common, we never can then appreciate his capacity to do what he can do in our life. He's so common to us. He's so familiar. My mama used to pray to him. My grandmother used to sing songs about Jesus. I went to Sunday school all my life, and so I'm very familiar with him. Yeah, I know. How can this this Jesus really impact my life? He's just familiar to you. He's common to you. And when God says and makes a claim about himself and what he can do in your life, because you're so spiritually blind, all you can respond is by Grr. They grumbled against him. And so Jesus, Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to, the, come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is like the fifth time that Jesus is speaking about the promise of what he will do. No one can come to me unless the Father sends them to me, and I will raise them up on the last day. You may not understand You may not be able to comprehend who Jesus is. And so he answers it by saying the reason why is because you need God to reveal that to you. This is one of those scriptures that half of uh, Christians and and, uh, 90% of the world does not want to accept. No man in their own right mind wants to accept this type of passage. Because human philosophy and and human uh, drive is based on what I do in order to gain. What I can do in order to earn merit. Whereas the kingdom of God is based on us not being able to do anything, but God who is sovereign to call us, draw us, transform us, change us, and keep us. Because if he does the work, guess who gets the credit for it? He does. The Bible describes our condition this way. It says that you were dead in your trespasses. It says that you are a captive to your sin. It says that you are a slave to your sin. It says that you are spiritually blind. Jeremiah says that when it comes to your nature, you are unable to change yourself because a leopard cannot say to himself, I don't want any more spots. Completely diametrically opposed and hostile to God. While you were still an enemy of God, God proved his love by loving us and sending his son. He initiates the work. He begins the work. He draws us to him. He changes our hearts. And we respond by believing. Even the believing itself, Ephesians chapter 2 says, is not of our own, but it is a gift that he gives to us. For you are saved by grace, which is by faith, which is not your own. Everything that we get to appreciate about relationship with God comes from God, and so therefore, the only person who can get credit for it is God. Amen. And the Jews are like, but 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 but, but no 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 no. I, there's something else that I need to do. There's something else that I need to work towards. I need to strive for. And God says, No, sit back, Jack, relax. I got this. says no one can come to me unless the father woos them compels them and once they've been wooed and and brought to me i keep them and i raise them up on the last day verse 45 he says it is written in the prophets and they will be taught by god everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me that right there is one of those texts in the Bible where you just kind of of have to look at it and kind of chuckle and say, Jesus is cool. Okay? Because what Jesus is doing is that he's quoting Scripture. He's quoting from Isaiah, where it tells us that in, in the last days, which we are living in right now, God will teach all men himself. They won't have a law to look at. They won't have the testament of, of Moses in order to be taught the good news about God, but rather God himself Will teach all men. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, I, where I will make a new covenant with them and I will write my laws on their hearts. It says you won't look to tablets of stone anymore, but God will now begin and initiate a work in your heart to bring him to yourself. But God, we were dead, but God, we were blind, but God. We were completely lost, but God, amazing grace is that I once was blind, and a blind person can't make themselves see. God began a work, and He brought me to Himself. And so what Jesus is doing there, saying is this: is that you, yeah, you guys have have read the scriptures, you've memorized scripture, you know verses. You have a bumper sticker on your car that says that you went to the crusade at the stadium. You have all this religion. You have all these books. You can quote scripture in Greek and Hebrew. But y'all don't know Jack because God the Father hasn't taught you. What I'm saying, what Jesus is saying, comes by revelation. Do you remember Peter? When Peter was with Jesus, Jesus said to Peter, "Uh, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the son of the living God, the most high. And Jesus responds by saying, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but God. That's how we come to know God. The revelation comes from him. It is revealed through him. So in verse 46, he says, not, "Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is, who is from God, he has seen the Father." What, what Jesus is, is basically doing in this sermon is that he's basically unpacking and summarizing what John opens up in John chapter one with. He says, uh, "In the beginning was the word, and the Word was, and the word was with, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst men." It says that men love the darkness, but but the word came to be the light of men. It says that the law came with Moses, but grace and truth has come through Jesus. He's giving us this whole comparison of, of what the, the old order of things was. But now he's saying that Jesus has begun something new, something that's different, something that is going to sustain life. Grace and truth uh, has come through him. The law brought death, but he came to give us life and life to the full. Jesus is doing something new. And so in this sermon here, what Jesus is doing is that he's unpacking it. He's saying, listen, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And what the Jews say is that, well, our fathers ate the bread in the, in the desert. They ate From from heaven that Moses gave them and what they're saying is that we have the law, we have Moses, we have all these things to cling to and Jesus is saying no, I'm starting something new something that will sustain, something that will last forever, something that's going to be eternal, you may know what you know but what I'm bringing to you is something different because I am the Morgan Freeman for God he says no one can explain God Except the God that came from God. I, I, I love Morgan Freeman's voice. I mean, seriously. Like, if I could preach with a Morgan Freeman voice, I can't even do an impersonation that's that cool. I try, I try. I mean, like, I try. When I'm preaching to myself in the mirror, and God said, that doesn't even sound like him, you know? Because I know that church growth, the church will grow when I can talk like Morgan Freeman. would have to have a budget of bodyguards Simply to keep all the ladies away from hearing me talk. Just say my name like Morgan Freeman does. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Jesus is saying that I am the one who gets to narrate God for you. To unpack God for you. To explain who God is for you. You may know scripture, but scripture won't do anything unless God reveals God to you. So he says... Truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever believes has eternal life. Now, now, I, I grew up in a, in a situation, in a religion, that basically said that eternal life was something that I hoped for. That if I lived a good life in the future, God will then judge my good deeds for my bad deeds and then reward me based on what I did. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That that if I, if I do so many good things, and and so I was always, you know, keeping up a little checklist, like, okay, walked a lady across the street, good. Stole a Snickers bar from my sister, bad. Gave a Snickers bar to a stranger, good. Salvation was presented as something that, that God gives to us freely, but we must continue keeping up the payments. It's like running on a treadmill. (sighs) I got to keep on running because if I stop, I lose my Salvation. I lose it. Got to keep on going. Let me tell you something. Eternal life is not a mortgage. Eternal life is not a mortgage. Eternal life is is not something that God gives to you freely and then says, here's the payment plan. No money down. No credit check. But you got a payment plan. That's not what Jesus is speaking about. If you believe that, what you believe is man's religion. Where well, you're saved by grace, but kept by works. And what Jesus is preaching is that, listen, if you believe this is the work of God, that you believe in the one that God sent. Amen? And you believe in him, and and whoever believes in him, what does it say? What's, what's that? Will have eternal life? Has eternal life. Has eternal life. Upon belief, I step out of not having it to having it. I step from, from no, not being connected to God to being completely connected to God. The term eternal, what does eternal mean? Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, right? Eternal. If you believe, you has eternal life. San Bernardino language. If you believe you has eternal life, past tense, believe is a one-time thing, and what you receive is a possession of something that is eternal. Now, if you could lose something that was given to you eternally, was it eternal? It was conditional. It was It rested on your ability to keep it. But the thing about salvation is that it's not an object, but rather it is an internal ingestion of something that changes your identity. Uh, The Apostle Paul puts it this way, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is something that never existed before. So what you need to take into account is that salvation is not a work or a process. It is a process in that you're constantly being sanctified, but the the, the justification part of it is something that changes your nature. Your DNA completely changes. The way that Galatians puts it is this way. It says that you are saved and you receive the adoption as a son. So no longer can Jesus say, this is what Jesus says. He says, now you guys are my brothers and my sisters because you've been adopted and we now have the same father. Whereas before, your father was a demon. Sorry, they don't teach that in happy church. Our nature has changed. We now possess something that isn't rested on me keeping it to possess it, but rather it is dependent on him possessing me now. Jesus puts it this way. He says, you are in my hand. I am in my father's hand. Come on. Can I I preach something called double-handed salvation here? Double-handed salvation. My son is going to grow up, and he's going to be five years old, And he's going to want to run across the street with a fast car coming towards him. I am going to grab his hand. And whether or not he wants to run across the street or not, I am going to keep him. What Jesus says by saying that you're in his hand and he's in the father's hand is saying, you may think to do something really, really dumb to run across the street. But you're in my hand. And I'm in my father's hand. Double-handed salvation. No devil in hell can pluck you out. Amen? No man can pluck himself out. You can't jump out of God's hand once he has you. Amen? Oh, man. Pastor is about to make me... Break. You better get on that organ or something, brother. <laughs> Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Now, the thing about believing is this, is that believing is not you constructing your own idea of who Jesus is. It's not you cutting and pasting and saying, I like this part about Jesus. I don't like that part. I'm going to keep that part out. It's not you saying, I am going to create my own personal Jesus, my own functional Savior, based on the constructs of what I think Jesus should be like. He says, you must believe. And who I reveal myself to be. I I, I like, I was traveling, I've been traveling a lot lately actually. And we'll continue till July. Praise the Lord. July 15 is an awesome day for me. It means I get to stay home, sleep in my own bed for seven consecutive days. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But whenever I'm traveling, I love going to the bookstores at the airports. Because they're always putting out the fresh new stuff, you know. And so on my recent trip, I was, I was uh, at a stop in Minneapolis, and I went to the bookstore. They had this nice bookstore, and they had a huge section on spirituality and religion. And I was like, oh, let me go see what they've got here. Of course, they had Rick Warren, Joel Osteen, and, and a couple other main authors. But then they had a good old section filled with other people who claim to know something about Jesus. Deepak Chopra had a book about Jesus. Eckhart Tolle had a book about Jesus. Now, these are all people who claim to know and claim to be experts about Jesus. But what Jesus would say is that no one can know who Jesus is unless the Father has revealed himself to them. All these other experts, all they're doing is constructing a cut and paste Jesus that is palatable to pop culture. Do you want Jesus to be a genie in a bottle? Do you want him to sound like Barney? I love you. You love me. We're a happy family. With a great big hug, I'll never talk about sin. I'll only accept you and bring you in. I just made that up. That was good. You can do whatever you want. I'm Jesus, and I love you anyways. Don't change. Just be who you are forever and ever. That's not Jesus. The walk of faith is transformational. When you believe, there's a nature change. And I'm not saying that the moment you believe, everything becomes perfect. I'm just going to dwell on this for a second, if you you don't mind, okay? See, the thing is this, that I remember uh, in my religious construct of where I came from, that when I... Like, you know, went down the altar, you know, they'll sing the song, just as I am with, come, come quickly, you know. And I went up to the altar, and I, I said, I said the prayer and everything. Immediately, as I was, you know, repeating the prayer, I was sing to myself, I've got to burn all the CDs I own. <sighs> I just bought that MC Hammer CD. Oh wait wait, He has a song about pray, you got to pray just to make it today. I can keep that one. I can keep it. I can keep it <laughs> Am I preaching to anybody? Does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning and And I walked away thinking I've got to do this. I got to do this I gotta I've gotta make make sure all, all these things are, are just in order and, and in line and everything and, and, and the thing about it is this that the walk of faith is transformational in that he changes you instantly but As you keep going, he continues to reveal things to you. And the problem in the church sometimes is that we see people come and receive Jesus, and we want them to be just like us immediately. Dino, um, thank you for receiving Christ. Please don't jump around when you're worshiping. That reminds us of the old Dino. Dino. Please remove the earrings. God would not have you wear earrings. It draws attention away from the glory of God. Chris, stop wearing Levi's. Start wearing Dockers because Christians wear Dockers and they tuck their shirts in. If you were really a believer, you'd grow your hair back. We make all these stipulations for people in order for them to, like, you know, to to prove themselves. Bobby is still tattooing people. Ah! We make up all these rules and these lists and all these ideas that are nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere to be found. The walk of faith is transformational. I'm not who I was. I'm not yet who I will be. As the father teaches me and the spirit convicts, I grow. I grow. And there's no verse you can show me that tells me that all of us have a call and a ministry to be fruit inspectors for other people's lives. I've been a Christian for several years right now and I've not graduated from grace. The same grace that saved me is the same grace that sustains me is the same grace that keeps on continuing, continuing to grow me. Amen. Amen. Where were we? Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. Your father ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is him saying that after he's just declared, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna because what they brought to him in in, in what we talked about last week was that, well, Moses gave us manna from heaven. And so Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna manna in the desert but they died there's a difference between this manna and the bread of life there's a huge difference because here's the thing manna that was given in the desert was for who the jews the law that was given on the mountain was for who the jews the manna that was given from, from, uh, in the desert was, was for them to eat daily. They had to stoop down in faith. It was mysterious. They didn't know what it was. As a matter of fact, manna simply means what is it? We don't know. It was mysterious, but they had to stoop down and pick it up and eat in it, eat of it. Manna was a gift from God. The bread of life is a gift of God. Manna did not cost God anything. The bread of life is a sacrifice that is given for the world. says, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me shall live eternally. This is the bread that came down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews, verse 52, the Jews disputed amongst themselves saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? The word that described, disputed there is not not the word dispute because, you know, we had a little dispute, you know, kind of like, you know, uh, we had a little scuffle, you know, a little bump in the road. That's not what he's describing. He's saying these guys were ripping their clothes. They were literally upset. They were vehemently angry. They were ticked off. They were, I won't say it. How can you? Give us your, the Bible, the Old Testament tells us don't eat flesh with its blood in it. Don't drink blood. That's pagan. How can you say that? Jesus, we're vegan. (laughs) We are vegan. And what you're saying is offensive. How can you give us your flesh to eat? So Jesus, instead of explaining himself, because he knows that no one can come to the father except the father draws him. No one can understand or perceive spiritual things unless the spirit himself reveals and opens up their hearts so they can understand these things. Jesus says to them something that confuses them even more. Verse 53 says, truly, truly, amen, amen. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. My flesh is the true food. My blood is the true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread that your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things as he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum over and over again. He says, I will raise them up on the last day if they believe. If they eat of me, this bread is the one that's given for the world as a sacrifice. Over and over he's describing the ministry of what he will do and the blessing that will come to those who believe. So there were five things that spoke to me about this metaphor. That Jesus uses. So some, some religions have taken this metaphor as, as, as a reason to believe in transubstantiation. Where they believe that when you're eating communion, it is literally the, 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 uh, the flesh of Christ or the blood of Christ when you drink the wine. And that's not what Jesus was meaning here. First of all, this crowd of people had never heard of the Lord's Supper yet. It would be unfair for Jesus to bring a concept that he has not introduced yet. Secondly, when he's speaking of his flesh, he uses the Greek word sarx, which is different than the word that he uses for the Lord's Supper. So it's completely different, it's misguided, and and it loses the context of what Jesus is talking about. What he's speaking of, when he says eat of my flesh, is a metaphor of believe. Believe, because eating is about trust. Oh, yes. Yes. You've never gone to someone's house that you didn't know before. And you walk in and it smells like World War III in the house. There are diapers all over the place. It's cluttered. You go to the kitchen and it looks as if it hasn't been cleaned in forever. Then they pull out that stuff, from, the casserole from the oven and they say, you want to eat something? And you're like, Uh oh, man, you said you were hungry. You know, <laughs> you know. I re- I'm, just, I'm just eating salads. Well, perfect. I have salad from yesterday. <laughs> eating is about believing. It's about trust. It's interesting to me that that the entire narrative of Scripture begins with a test based on food. And it culminates in a wedding supper of the Lamb. And in the middle, Jesus declares himself to be... The food that sustains us. Eating is about trust. So, so point number one that I want to give you here. I'm almost done. i just going to go through these real fast. Point number one, food is useless unless it is eaten. Spiritual food does nothing to the person who just looks at it and never internalizes it. Jesus is calling us to believe and to eat of him, to trust in him. To put our faith and hope in him. Eating is necessary. It is necessary for us to eat. I, I was recently found at the gym. I don't know how I got there. <laughs> and I, I was at the gym and I, I have a trainer, Corey and, uh, and Carla, they train me. Really, they just kind of like have mercy on me, have pity on me, like. <sighs> but but Corey and, and, and Carla, they were like, you know what, um. You can do all this stuff here, but and and you can work out all you want, Pastor John. But but what you really need to do is change your change your eating habits. And I was like, no, <laughs> no. Well, 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 tell us what do you eat mostly? What's what's your diet? What does it consist of? I eat a lot of rice. Is it brown rice? No. I'm a brown man who eats white rice. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm like, well, the, the brown the, the brown rice is much it has more nutritional value. The white rice it just kind of sticks to your body, and, and that's why that's where you're getting those rolls from. I was like, let me tell you something. I'm, I'm an observer of life and people groups. I have plenty of Asian friends that eat rice for breakfast, rice for dessert, rice for rice pudding, sticky rice, all kinds of rice, and it's white rice, and I never see them gain weight. <laughs> Not once. You're wrong. He had no comeback You can exercise all you want but unless you eat properly it does nothing for you Eating is about trust Number 2 Eating is prompted by hunger It's prompted by it is a response to stimulation that says you need sustenance in your life Sinners who are full of sin and happy in sin, are never hungry for spiritual things unless God wakens up their hunger to have an appetite for forgiveness, an appetite for hope, an appetite for deliverance, an appetite for change in their life. God is the one who wakens us to our lost condition. Next point is this. When you ingest food, it becomes a part of your body. It becomes a part of who you are. Jesus' use of this metaphor is this, is that I want to be fully immersed in who you are. You know, Christianity is not a work thing. It's an identity thing. People aren't going to hell because of the things that they do. They're going to hell because of who they are. We don't go to heaven because of the things that we do. We go to heaven because of who we become, a new creation. So when Jesus is saying, eat of me, he's saying, when you eat of me, when you believe in me, you ingest me to the point where I become you. I become a part of who you are. I abide in you and you abide in me. Amen, somebody. Eating involves trust. Eating requires appropriation. It's one thing to go to a buffet and say, well, that's salad, that's carrots, that's meatloaf, that's steak, that's good steak, that's that's dessert. But if you walk out, you're still empty unless you appropriate it and eat it and take it in. You can know all that you know about religion, God, but unless you put it inside of you, it's nothing. Lastly, eating is personal. Eating is personal. I, I was in Las Vegas yesterday. Actually, I think it was Friday night. As I'm hanging out in Las Vegas, I, um, uh, I got a text message from a friend. I won't say his name to keep him uh, guilty. Heath Baker. He's seated in the top section over there, haircut sort of like mine. Looks like my white twin brother. That's him, Heath Baker. Heath has an amazing wife named Melanie. Melanie makes these cupcakes. Two years ago, she made this cupcake that had raspberry topping and raspberry filling. And I'm not into sweets or cakes or cupcakes or anything like that, but, but you know, I was still just trying to get to know them, and so they came around and they had these cupcakes. They're like, Pastor, do you want one? I was like, yeah, oh, sure, I'll, I'll have one. And, and I just kind of prayed. I was like, I don't know these people yet. I don't trust them. I don't know what ingredients are in this thing, but I'll try it. And I took a bite, and my life was changed. It was like another salvation experience for me. I took a bite. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. I should have taken the whole batch. It was incredible. It's been about two years, Heath, since I've had that cupcake. I've, I've begged week in, week out, Melanie, when are you going to make those cupcakes again? Oh, those cupcakes, are amazing. Oh, you should try these ones. No, I want the raspberry ones. Friday, he sends me a text message. Look what Melanie made and the picture. I write back, brother, I am in Las Vegas ministering. <laughs> we only have a dozen. They're going fast. Can you save me one? She only made a dozen and they're going fast. He writes back, I'll give you my address to get over here. You better start driving. I write back, enjoy it for me. The truth of the matter is that I did not enjoy anything. Heath ate all the cupcakes for himself. And even if I would ask him to enjoy it for me, I did not experience it for myself. I did not taste each bite with glorious satisfaction. And know that, oh, Heath married way up. I cannot enjoy... He tastes for himself. Jesus is saying, Eat of me because it is a personal thing that you get to experience. Your parents can't do it for you, your pastor can't do it for you. The faith and the trust in Jesus must be personal. So, as we close up our service this morning, I want to ask you Have you tasted for yourself? Have you trusted for yourself? Or are you sitting on the sidelines hoping that someone else will enjoy it for you? Right now is your opportunity to turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm not going to grumble. I'm not going to just continue this same cycle of trying to make it on my own. But I'm going to trust you for myself. I'm going to trust you as the bread come down from heaven to give me eternal life.